The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. To the house, This is unbelievable. Welcome to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. It's your call for the best college football coverage. From National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between, CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Barton Simmons. That's Tom Fernelli. It's Monday afternoon. Mailbag Monday. We've got some other headlines to get to. Um, gentlemen, before we do, how are we feeling? How are we doing as, uh, as we approach this week? I'm feeling good. Feeling, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited for signing day to get here and get past so we can all move forward with our lives, um, or I can move forward with my life. But uh, everything else is good. I I want to spend the rest of my life thinking about this 2020 class. <laughs> this is uh this is a big this signing day. The teams at the top aren't always sweating out the second signing day. If I'm sort of putting it all together, it's really the Illinois of the world that are grinding it grinding it out uh, for the February signing day, right? Uh, they are grinding it out, but it's the because the the rankings are very close. You know, anything could happen that could uh, could bump someone over the top, which is why I'm sort of terrified for our rankings release tomorrow. Because if 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 we create a shuffle in the team rankings, then I'm sure we'll catch all kinds of hell about it. <laughs> in uh, a previous mailbag, as an aside, I think a listener wanted to mention that whenever a player commits to Georgia, y'all drop them in the rankings, right? But now we That's are right. a pro Georgia podcast. No, this is a yeah, we're pro Georgia. Now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is is there a fan base that exists that does not believe that 24-7 and other recruiting sites devalue a player as soon as they commit to their program? No, and I want to I'll tell you why it is. It's because <laughs> when the the nature of rankings are guys more guys will move up than will move down. And so because and, and everyone else, if you're not moving up or you're not moving down, you're just sort of staying status quo. So if a guy moves up 200 spots, then there's 200 people below him that will have moved down one spot. And so if a few people move up 50 spots or a few people move up 100, whatever, then, then all of a sudden these, these moves pile up. And if you're just a guy that was status quo, then all of a sudden you've moved down 10, 15, 20, 30 spots or what have you. 
and everyone looks at things in the viewpoint of their school. And so they're not seeing the big picture. They're just seeing my guys move down. And, oh, the one guy moved up, but that guy should have been ranked high anyways. So I'm not going to give you credit for something that you had wrong before. Now you corrected your error, but you screwed all my other guys. And so there's just this it's, – it's understandable because they're looking through their team-colored glasses – but it's uh, it's very much a, a perception issue on their end rather than a, a bias issue on our end. Well, here's what I know is that Illinois got a commitment from Isaiah Williams, who is a five-star athlete. And then a couple weeks after they got the commitment, he was suddenly a four-star. So facts in your Five face. Star, that's a classic move there. That's a classic move. You throw that around. He was a five-star athlete by whom? Who had him as a five-star athlete? We at the composite had him as a five-star athlete because yes. Isaiah Williams was never a five-star on twenty-four seven sports. Whatever. Now, I don't know what he you, was on the composite. Yeah. Uh-huh. But we you never went, had you him. went back in there and you changed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, know yeah. Your, I know your tricks, Simmons. I know what you're up to <laughs> yeah. over there. <laughs> yeah, I want the allegation <laughs> to include going into the database yourself. Yes. You logged Martin in at home in the <laughs> yeah. dark in his office at 4 a.m. Going in there like <laughs> I'm going to screw this guy's rating. Well, and, and it's like the other funny, like Rick Neuheisel has said, oh, I was, when I was at UCLA, I saw it happen. A guy would commit to, to USC and he'd go up in the rankings. And it's like, well, look, coach, you know, I'm sitting here. We're 15 years away from that. And uh, I can't, you know, we, we can't pin down what exact move you're talking about. If you want to get specific, let's get specific and we can discuss maybe why that might have happened. But just these arbitrary memories of a guy moving because of, of a commitment elsewhere is, is a little bit uh, a little bit fishy to me. Like let's 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 get down to, to brass tacks here and decide well, maybe there's a reason the guy moved. Maybe he committed as his stock was rising because of some camp performance that the, the colleges noticed as well. So as you can see, I can get on a, I can get on a tangent on this stuff. <laughs> I kind of like it. It's getting it get bring bring some fire here at the beginning. Message for all fans as we uh I'm warmed up for my for my message board battles tomorrow. <laughs> Isn't it uh yeah, you always throw out the the gif um drawing your samurai sword with the army oncoming as soon as you I'm release so, it. Like fighting the army of the dead or whatever. Yeah. yeah. No, they were Maybe. they were just a regular army. Oh, is that what that was? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Yeah. You know what? Get it right. Yeah, get the How details. Right. Dare you? Um, a couple of a couple of headlines before we dig into things here on Monday. Some of the initial reporting that Barton, you actually sort of mentioned as as the way it was, uh, the way things were heading on Friday, that Bo Pelini will be the defensive coordinator. He returns to LSU, where he was a defensive coordinator from 2005 to 2007. Uh, two top five seasons all top 20 seasons statistically in terms of total defense and scoring defense you know pretty renowned defensive mind uh i guess for you tom uh is this is this one of those like check marks all good are you getting excited to just have bo pelini the figure in your life or do you look at this as uh, a, a major i don't know about upgrade but do you look at this as a major addition for ed odron's staff no disrespect to Bo Pelini, but no, I don't think going from Dave Aranda to Bo Pelini is a major upgrade. I think it's probably a slight downgrade, which is not a knock on Bo Pelini. I just think that Dave Aranda is very, very good at what he did. But I do think Pelini, obviously, it's a good hire for Orgeron in that he's a well-respected defensive coordinator. He's been a head coach. 
at you know at a major program like Nebraska and not a little side tangent, but how's Nebraska been going since they got rid of Pelini when he wasn't good enough? But he's also <laughs> been at LSU, so he's familiar with the territory. He knows what you he knows responsibilities. He knows what's expected. I think it's a good solid hire. Am I like super excited that Bo Pelini's back? Not really. I mean, he's a defensive coordinator. It's not like he's going to be the head coach or anything. So, I mean, Ed O is still the show. Barton. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, um, I think pretty good hire. I, you know, it's hard to. I don't know, Tom, if you've got a good FCS team stats site. Uh, I wanted to look up because look, we all just sort of think about Bo Pelini as a the as guy. a defensive mind, and yeah, he was like had the SEC or LSU as the number three defense three years in a row when he was the defensive coordinator there and. Nebraska always played pretty good defense under him, and but I'm just I was just sort of curious, you know, how Youngstown State's defense has been playing, and I, I it was a little hard for me to find historical data. I mean, this past year in 2019, they were like six and six or or something like that, and they were 24th, 23rd in the country maybe in yards per play in FCS, which is respectable, but it's you know they didn't have the best defense in the country or anything. So, um, I, I think it's a good hire. Um, and I, yet I don't know that it, I, I have any confidence that it's some home run hire. You know, maybe it's a solid double. Um, you're getting a good coach back in the fold, and I know he can evaluate at a high level, and I'm sure he, you know he, he's still a good coach. I just um, once a good defense coordinator, it, necessarily always a good defense coordinator. I'm just I'm just curious, I guess, whether he still kind of still got it. I'm I will not, say, oh, go ahead. They don't, he doesn't have it broken down by side of the ball, but in Bill Connolly, he started doing like SP plus rankings for fcs teams this year and youngstown state was 38th i'm nonplussed i think it's great not great i think it's probably good content but i'm not looking at bo pelini as a check mark in saying well you know what lsu's defense is going to be good next year because bo pelini is leading the charge i think lsu's defense can be good next year because of the talent and the players that are on that LSU defense and just sort of the, you know, the the inherent standard within that program that Ed Odron, former defensive line coach, is just going to make sure is trying to be upheld and met. So I'm, I will be, uh, I will sit back and I'm not going to jump all over it and say that there's a major value add here. I, I'm just, uh, I guess that I'm excited to, to see the Bo Pelini related content. This seems good for business more than it seems good for LSU. How about that? Yeah. Ed, Ed knows that it's not necessarily who's making the gumbo is the ingredient you put in it. Hey, there you go. So he's getting, he's getting, I think the reports are saying he's getting around 2 million a year, which is, um, I guess just becoming such like it was that, that, that was reserved for Venables and Aranda only. And now all of a sudden 2 million a year is becoming sort of not the standard, um, but it seems like it's creeping towards, all right, if you're a top-tier program, you want a big-name coordinator, it's a $2 million a year deal, um, which is kind of crazy to me. It's also crazy to me to think that – and I know that I think he was on one of those sweet deals where he was getting paid by Nebraska for like up until maybe even this year or something. Um, but I think his base at Youngstown State was like two hundred to 300000 and I was getting made two mil. So – yeah, no brainer there for Bo. Yeah, <laughs> yes. One thousand percent increase. Yeah. Yeah. Well, all right. So, do you think that the programs get stuck there? Like, is Texas A and M, Clemson, and LSU 
they're just in a new world uh, until a head coach change is made. That's what they're going to have to pay their defensive coordinator. I guess it's just it's not even what they have to, but it's like what they can, and they're just going to pay what they can, and and not care. It seems like there's just there's very, I don't know. Maybe it's just it makes your defensive coordinator sound better if they're worth two million. Maybe. Remember, athletic departments are nonprofit, so got to pay them as much as you well, have to to make sure you're not making a profit. Okay, so on that point, I think I think in any other final word on Bo Pelini, because Barton, I do think that is a good. Uh, branch into the UCLA story. Yeah, I thought this UCLA story was was pretty pretty interesting. Uh, John Wilner um, from I don't know what what publication he's with. News. San Jose Mercury News. Okay, so he had a great story on the this new athletic def- department deficit of uh, eighteen point nine million in the 2019 fiscal year at UCLA. And it was just sort of interesting. It was like this, this confluence of events of paying the Jim, the Jim Mora buyout, paying the Steve Alford buyout, um, hiring Chip Kelly, Chip Kelly coming in. And we've, you know, if, if you're, if you're bet, like in, in a way, this story is, if you read it, is it could, could be spun as like encouraging for the UCLA football program in the sense that as Chip Kelly came in, not only you're paying him and you're paying him more to leave, but you're, you're also committing a lot more resources. Chip Kelly was demanding a lot more in terms of infrastructure and resources to, to the football program. For example, Jim Mora in his last year, I think the, the, the you know, spent like $990,000 on meals for the team on a training table and in chip Kelly's or in, I guess 2019 um, I'm sorry. I don't have the, the excerpt in front of me. Chip Kelly spent 5 million on meals and uh, training table. So like that, I mean, that's a pretty extreme boost in just what you're spending purely on, on tr- tr- uh, nutrition. And so I just think there is, you know, you could maybe look at it like there's a lot going into this program that maybe is you're not going to see in the very initial season or seasons, but you'll, you know, when the gains hit, they will be exponential. So maybe year three is the exponential year in 2020. I don't know, uh, but worth thinking about. But it's just interesting, like in addition to all that, you know, so, okay, Chip Kelly's putting all this money into the program. They're paying Chip Kelly all this money. They're paying Jim Moore all this money. But all the while, there's no one coming to the games. So right. you're losing all this money on attendance. And so it's just this sort of perfect storm of events that has uh, is, is put UCLA in a pretty big uh, fiscal hole. I'm starting the narrative now. If UCLA wins is, is a good season, I'm going to say it's all because of the nutrition. But <laughs> it's all because of the $5 million of food. Yeah. But they – like. Everyone's trying to treat athletic departments like their businesses and like their big businesses. Uh, there is the you know nonprofit aspect to this, which you know gets a it, it certainly clashes ideologically with trying to run it like a big business. But that's a you would say that 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 business is 
is poor, right? That is that is not doing a good job uh, when you're running that kind of deficit when you are, and like not even the financials of it, but you mentioned the attendance and also the results aren't good. Men's basketball right. and football. So whatever tangible, however you want to document that in your equation or in your spreadsheet, you are not even getting the boost that you would say, okay, we are spending all this money, but we went to the sweet 16 last year or we, we like made a run uh, in football season. We were in contention for a PAC 12 championship. That's where I hear that. And I'm not going to buy into chip Kelly. I'm almost thinking in my mind, five years in the future, it's like, wow, whoever takes over for chip Kelly is going to be inheriting a program that at least has gotten used to spending big time program kind of money because the results on the field still feel like they're far away. Either that or, or they'll inherit a program that all of a sudden is very gun-shy about spending all this money oh, yeah, because can... they just they just invested all this money and lost. Right. And so it's 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 like a really interesting – Like I mean, Chip Kelly's got to start winning, and they're still not recruiting at a really high level uh, relative to UCLA standards, which aren't, like, ridiculous. Um, but, like, it's – so it's just – there's all this money being pumped into the program, and – ultimately the buck stops with him and just like getting some wins. So t- I think 2020 is a huge year for UCLA and Chip Kelly. Just, just wait till all that TV money starts rolling and they'll be fine. So <laughs> what if, this was a, a we're going to get to the mailbag questions here in a little bit, but uh, one that came in. So I figure, you know, shout out to you. Uh, but the, the question was, what is UCLA's recruiting profile across the country? A sub question within the question was, why does USC be able to have some success? I, I I would head that off before I send it to the recruiting master to say, well, USC is USC. There's just a different program tradition uh, built into both of these programs. So even ignoring the USC part of that, like what is UCLA's uh, profile, reputation? Like what is, what is the draw? What is the sell if you're trying to sell UCLA? Have you guys ever been to UCLA? No. No. It's unbelievable. Like the campus at UCLA is unbelievable. And and the facilities have improved dramatically here recently. And like you would, I think just sort of a, from a non-football perspective, that's it's sort of like this, this dreamy kind of school. Um, but I just think that that's, that's the sell. And the, meanwhile, USC has this, allure and mystique and football reputation that's that's more ingrained in i think the the southern california um population and 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 even when their facilities were terrible and they're still not great i don't think at usc though i haven't really seen them but i, I know you know in, in the Pete carroll era the facilities were like not very good um and mm. It's a, and they still get got guys and and UCLA is just sort of I just think it's just the it's just a vibe as much as anything and so I look they they've got a but I, but if they had someone that came in there and really knows how to recruit and really could get I mean they I, I think they have a ceiling as high as anyone in the Pac-12 minus USC um, but I I don't you know I'm not totally confident that Jim Mora was like a, a, a an A plus recruiter and I'm certainly Chip Kelly's showing that he's not so and Carl Durrell wasn't and so it's like all right when like I'd love to see us at UCLA with a coach that's going to really prioritize it at a high level. Mm. Isn't, isn't part of the problem to like 
the the facilities are getting better, but you're still a 45 minute drive away from where you play your games. And that's with good traffic. I mean, that's a weird dynamic that I don't love, but I don't know how much that's, I don't know how much that, that, that really affects recruiting. I mean, I guess it does a little bit, but I mean, you're still, you're playing in the Rose bowl. Yeah. That's not, that's not going to be a negative, right? No, but at the same time, like, the Rose Bowl is not associated with UCLA. The Rose Bowl just happens to be where UCLA plays. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, uh, I mean it's not, but it, like that's that's sort of. I mean, the Coliseum is is is. Uh, I mean, it's kind of on campus, I guess, but it's I don't know. I don't know. Like that's not really that. That still it has a similar vibe. The Coliseum isn't like doesn't feel like a sort of an on-campus stadium to me. I will say I do think I mean. Being in that market in Los Angeles, there is, it's not like a thing where, you know, in other parts, like if you're in the Big Ten or the SEC, where, you know, there's like that natural inborn fan base that, you know, loves their team even when they suck. Being in LA, the reason USC, you know, because USC's won so much that USC is, honestly, if you were to ask the people of LA who their favorite football team was, college or NFL, in the city, there'd probably be a lot more people that said USC or the Rams or the Chargers. And I think that's just because of the history that they have, because LA being LA likes a winner. It likes the celebrity kind of feel about it. And I think USC has that, whereas UCLA, if they could put together some kind of sustained winning whether, you know, like I'm sure when they were winning the titles, you know, in basketball, when they were a very strong basketball school, I'm sure UCLA basketball was very popular in Southern California. If their football program could win a lot of games, I don't think I don't know if they're going to overtake USC or that kind of thing. But I do think it would work wonders for them as far as making an impact in the area, because I do feel like if I'm a high schooler growing up in California, whether it's Southern California or just anywhere, you know, kind of within range of going to one of those schools as a football player. My view of the schools is that UCLA would be second fiddle to USC. And I think that it's going to be, it's going to take a lot of work to change that kind of perception of the program period. I was seeing sounds. I was smelling colors. It was UCLA basketball in the (laughs) seventies. That was like Bill Walton. I thought it was Lou like, Holtz at like ninety five. <laughs> I, thought, I thought we were having a Lou Holtz impression, and then you finish it off. I was like, "Oh, it's Bill Walton." Yeah, that's... like I was like, I was like, "Wait, what?" Is... Oh, okay, I get where he's trying to go here. <laughs> I just, I just, uh, I did not. I, I aged him beyond his spry uh, self. You know, still going for bike rides and swims every day. I already had. Yeah, it. you got to put a little bass in that voice, and then I think you got it. <laughs> uh, uh, one other headline before we move on to the uh, your questions. Larry Fedora introduced as the new offensive coordinator at Baylor. The uh, the Dave Aranda Baylor staff continues to come. To, Joe Wickline also coming in as the offensive line coach, and you're getting uh, Jorge Munoz, uh, or is it George? The offensive analyst from LSU, I think, Baylor. I think it's Jorge, uh, my guess. But you know, he takes over that passing game coordinator, wide receivers coach role, which in title was the same one that Joe Brady had on the LSU staff. So is Dave Aranda building a Waco West at Baylor? I mean, a, a Baton Rouge West in Waco. There's Baton Rouges being built all over the country right now. It seems like. 
uh, including with the way this, this, this staff and players yeah. are, are, are bouncing and getting upgrades or, um, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I think, um, I think he's, I mean, I like the hire. I think that's a quality hire. Uh, and Jorge Munoz was from the insiders around the LSU program gets a lot of credit for, or being kind of a, a really a key piece off the field to what they were doing. Um, so maybe a little Joe Brady pixie dust is going to follow him to Waco. We'll see. Um, but no, I mean, look, I think it's, we'll see, but I think this is, I think Dave Aranda has, has, has made some quality hires, um, top to bottom to this point. Tom. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I, I like what they're doing. I mean, I'd rather be Matt rule still, <laughs> but I don't, I don't think he's made a bad hire yet. I think that it's obviously you look at Matt rule leaving to go to the NFL and what he was able to do at Baylor. And you're immediately concerned as a Baylor fan is, Oh God, what if, what if we're going to lose the momentum of everything that rules done? And that might still happen, but based on the moves that you've made, bringing in Aranda and the moves that he's making, I think there's reason to be optimistic that you can continue heading in the right direction. I don't know whether I'm actually interested in Dave Aranda's Baylor or if it was just so late in the hiring cycle that I'm giving it way too much attention. I mean, Larry Fedora is a is a good spread offensive high, mind. Yeah, high profile hire. I just don't know what I don't know what else to say about it other than just like yeah, like let's 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 make note of that. Keep an eye on that. Um, and uh, so, I mean, look, I think it's. Um, I think he's 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 putting together a nice little staff. He's he's not going to be running Wisconsin's offense. He's going to be running an up tempo spread. That's what it signals yes. to me. Yeah, and he's a def- that's I mean, yeah, that's a good point. Like he's a defensive coach hiring an up tempo guy. So I just, you know, it's uh you wonder how much he'll be, you know, he'll sort of tailor that offense to to one that's maybe a happy medium that'll help his defense out a little bit too. Coming up on the other side, your questions and our answers including a Big Ten SEC Challenge next. Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. 
Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. So uh, here in the offseason, been going through trying to pull back some of the questions that maybe didn't make the cut for midseason mailbags and give those some highlights. And I thought that uh, these couple uh, stood out, were a little bit timely because of the Big 12 SEC challenge in college basketball over the weekend. And so uh, let's... We'll, we'll, we'll dive in and we'll take this college football style. The question from Lou18, uh, he or she asked in October, if the Big Ten and the SEC were to have an annual conference matchups like hoops, what matchups do you want to see the most and who wins overall? They do. It's called bowl season. It happens every <laughs> January. <laughs> <laughs> Next I've, question. I've got matchups. Do y'all I got are, matchups? Okay. How uh do you have matchups, Tom? No. Okay. It happens every bowl season. <laughs> right. we, we just saw it like a couple weeks ago. Michigan played Alabama. Auburn played Minnesota. I mean, it's it's every year. It's, hey, the Big Ten and the SEC only get a couple because I feel like the this uh the Big Ten has a chance to win this based on what's happening at the bottom. So uh, Barton, did you try to line it up for the most part, top to top, bottom to bottom? Yeah, I mean it worked out that way. Okay. Yeah, yeah I mean why? Like, of course. Like, I'm not. I'm not going to set it up for blowouts. So, I tried to line it up, top to top, bottom to bottom, and also sort of like storyline. Um. Yeah, like like parallel programs within the conference. I've got uh. So I've got Ohio State and LSU. Uh, so I'd have to say Bama, just as sort okay, of the, a, the flagship <laughs> programs of each conference. All right. Good, well, if you, I'm going off my ratings, it would be Ohio State and LSU next year. Uh, all right. So what, uh, Barton, read. read because uh, you got to think of this year in, year out. Like if it's an annual deal. Yeah, that's like, true. You want so, you want to, to to carry year over year over year. All right, Barton. So let's, let's do it. Uh, we'll decide who wins based on your matchups. <laughs> okay. All right. OSU Bama. Are we do, uh, what are we doing? Are we doing next year, last year, or just – annually in terms of our predictions i say last year that is data we have a full data set that we know right we can make a debate on whether or not those teams would win on a neutral field right okay okay all right oh ohio state bama ohio state um yeah you're probably right uh penn state lsu 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 okay wisconsin georgia georgia you with that chip? Yeah, right, I'm, I'm. I can roll with that. Okay. We're, we're Georgia. We're Georgia podcast. Uh, Michigan, <laughs> no Auburn. Ah, uh, Michigan. Oh, you know Auburn did just lose to Minnesota. That's true. I'm gonna go Michigan. I would say that's kind of a coin flip. Go. Uh, I'll go. Uh, I'll go Michigan there. Okay. Uh, all right. <clears throat> Two upstart programs in each conference: Minnesota and A and M. Minnesota. Oh, okay, yeah, that's that's probably right. I'll probably go Minnesota too. A and M would be so pissed at that characterization of that of that game. Uh, Iowa, Tennessee. Couple. Iowa, just because Tennessee struggled with Indiana. Yeah, I think that would be a good matchup 
moving forward this year, you probably got to give Iowa the, the edge. Though you still continue to kind of hate on Indiana, Tom. And Indiana was a legit team this year. So no, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> Michigan State, Kentucky, Kentucky. I don't. Yeah. Know. Oh man, I know Michigan State wasn't pretty, but it wasn't definitively awful. Kentucky. <laughs> Yeah, I, I trust Kentucky a little more there. All right. This is a little bit more of a annual rivalry than a good matchup for this past year. I assume y'all have an obvious answer here. Nebraska, Florida. 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 Nebraska yeah. into Florida. This, I kind of like this uh, this pairing here. Indiana, South Carolina. Mm. I mean, Indiana, I think, it, I think you've got to give Indiana the edge this year. This year, Indiana in the long haul, South Carolina. Yeah, but hey, Tom Allen's got that thing chugging. Uh, Purdue, Missouri. Yikes! Ooh, is, is this a <sighs> game? Is... This is a game that the SEC network and the Big Ten network try and pass back and forth. How healthy is Purdue? <laughs> like uh, full it, health. I mean, does it matter? Like that's just they're they're always a team that's like kind of holding it together with a rubber band. I'll go I'd... Missouri. I'd say 55-45 Missouri. Yeah, Missouri. Percentage wise, not score. I'm gonna go I'm gonna go Jeff Brom beating Barry Odom in a coach off. Uh Illinois, Arkansas. Illinois. Yeah. Maryland Old Miss. Ole Miss. Ole Miss. Yeah. Northwestern Mississippi State. Mississippi, Mississippi State. State. I don't know why that matchup just sounds funny to me. <laughs> that is that is the two complete polar opposite like fan bases that you will ever come across. Yes. Yeah, that could be a nice culture clash. Um Rutgers Vandy. 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 Did anyone keep track of this? Who won? <gasps> <laughs> Listeners, tweet us who won. Yeah, let us let us know who won. <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> That's okay. I look, I look I look for I look forward to getting my Twitter mentions and finding out who won. This will be a fun little like. Sometime it'll show up on my Twitter timeline. We'll find out who won the the, the great 2019 Big Ten SEC Challenge. I'm gonna, gonna get published this afternoon. I'm gonna be staring at tweet my tweet deck all night, waiting. Just waiting. <laughs> Come on, bring it. It's at Tom Fernelli, at Barton Simmons, at Chip underscore Patterson. Let us know who won the Big Ten SEC Challenge. It just played out live on the Cover Three <laughs> podcast. <laughs> okay. Well, let's let's keep it going because in November, C Dub Nine asked, "You eliminate Clemson and let's say Georgia Tech for balancing purposes." ACC versus AAC showdown. Who wins? You can pair matchups as you please. May I start? Yeah, you should take the lead here, Tom. I'd like to state my my official first impression is that the that the ACC is still better than the AAC. But I want to hear what your what your your numbers tell us. This premise is completely flawed, and. It is intended to get the desired result, which you want to hear is that the AAC is better than the ACC. You can't take Clemson out of it and say, no, let's do it. Let's take out the two worst ACC teams if that's the way you want to do it. But I do have some numbers here to back it up because in my ratings, the American actually did finish with a slightly better overall rating than the ACC did this year. But 
that doesn't necessarily mean because again my ratings aren't predictive they're just a measure of how you've performed compared to everybody else but some stats from 2019 that might surprise some because we kind of dogged the ACC all year in non-conference play against group of five schools the ACC went 19 and 6 that included six games against the American in which it went 4 and 2 NC State beat East Carolina Georgia Tech beat South Florida Pitt beat UCF and North Carolina completely destroyed Temple (laughs) by 42 in the bowl game. The two losses were Temple beating the same Georgia Tech team that beat UCF and the same Temple team that got beat by North Carolina by 42. And then the other one was Cincinnati crushing Boston College in the bowl game. But let's not forget Boston College was under an interim coaching regime. Its quarterback, starting quarterback, had transferred and did not play. Its best player on offense was not playing in the game. So I feel confident that if you did best versus best, kind of like what we just did with the Big Ten and the SEC, the ACC is going to win that challenge. I, I've got matchups. Do y'all want to play it? Let's do it. Okay. Did so you I, take out Clemson, though? I did. I, I'm going. Yeah, this is, I'm, I'm okay with that premise. I, I'm I going to sense. entertain and accept the premise that C-Dub 9 has presented. All right. At the top, Virginia Memphis. Memphis. Good game, though. I'll go Memphis. Yeah. Virginia Tech Cincinnati. Virginia Tech. Louisville, you uh, you might, you want to contend? Might, I might go Cincinnati there. All right, let's see. What's your what's your what's your tiebreaker, Chip? I say Virginia Tech. All right. Oh wait, wait, wait. Are we keeping track this time? Yes, I am. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Louis- I like the idea. Just getting, just finding out. I do. Later you need to stop taking notes. <laughs> okay. Louisville, UCF. Late season. Oh, see, Louisville was so like Jekyll and Hyde from week to week. I mean, I would go UCF, but like at the same, but I, that's a tough. I'll go UCF. I'm not super confident in UCF either, but I would go UCF. All right. Uh, Wake Forest Navy, great game. Wake. I'll go Wake. Florida State SMU. Florida State. Yeah, because SMU got kind of trounced by FAU. That defense is a problem. So yeah, I would go Florida State just because I trust them to get a few more stops. Miami Tulane. And Miami is responsible for two of the six group of five losses. You got to go Tulane, Louisiana Tech, and FIU. So I'm going to go with Tulane. I don't know if I really believe it, but I don't right. think Miami deserves my confidence here. That's a that's a fair description. I'll go with Tulane too. Yeah, and Miami's better. Miami yeah, is you, on paper better. That won't stop. But we're not like you're not allowed. <laughs> yeah, you're not allowed to pick Miami here. If if what they've done this year is to be taken into account, you're just not allowed. They, I mean, FIU and Louisiana Tech were two of its losses in its final five games. Yeah. All right. Uh, I like this matchup. Shout out to the the in-state battle. We're going Pitt and Temple. Pitt. Pitt. Uh, UNC against USF. UNC. UNC big. <laughs> Sam Howell is still throwing touchdowns in that game. Uh, Boston College against Houston. Ugh. Ugh. I'll, take, I'll take BC here. Really? I mean, yeah. If it's if it's Houston with everybody redshirting, this is a tank year for Houston. We're doing yeah. this on a tank year. Yeah, I'll take. I mean, BC did get to a bowl game. It's just they finished so poorly. But I think they're better than Houston. Yeah. NC State ECU. 
that happened, and NC State beat them by like thirty something. Syracuse, UConn. Syracuse. Syracuse. Duke, Tulsa. Duke. Yeah. Uh, uh, I could see Tulsa pulling an upset there, but Duke would probably be favored, so I'll give you Duke. I uh, yeah, we I will wait. Uh, I will wait the the of- official results, which will only come from listeners. But as I stand here with the results in front of me, the the key to it really is the back half. Because as much as the ACC was criticized for not having another team in the top 25, even the bottom of that league, uh, was they, they weren't outside of the top 60, and the bottom of the AAC has teams that are outside of the top 60. Like definitively bottom half of the FBS type teams. Mm-hmm. Bottom 25 types. Oof. Who was in the bottom 25 or flirting with it from the AAC this year? Uh, actually, there were only two. It was UConn and ECU. Uh, wait, no, there were. And South Florida and Houston just squeaked in at 25. In the ACC, it was NC State and Georgia Tech. So here's, here's, the, way, here's the way to look at it is. Like, think about the way Clemson ran through the ACC. Would 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 Clemson suddenly have a tougher road if you threw him in the AAC? No, <laughs> like, of course not. Yeah, we'd be arguing not. that Clemson didn't deserve a playoff berth. Yeah, it, Clemson would be UCF. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Uh, all right, that was fun. Uh, this next question comes from Stoneman19. Stoneman asks: In future Egg Bowls, who would you put your money on in the Leach versus Kiffin showdowns? Or maybe a bigger question, how do you expect the recruiting battle to shake out with two quirky dudes visiting Mississippi high schoolers? Okay, so I caught some hell at the at the convention um, because we have some, some listeners out there in, in the college football sphere, and uh, they're, they're kind of busting my chops a little bit because when the, the uh, Mike Leach hire went down, they turned on the podcast and they're all geared up and excited for like giggle fest about the Mike Leach hire. And it and it turned into just me and Tom like going in on the fits and like getting all serious about how Mike Leach fits in at Mississippi State. And so they're disappointed that it, it wasn't just like a funnel Mike Leach laughathon. We Which I guess is sort of what like everyone expects out of like every Mike Leach conversation, including the the introductory press conference that basically had a laugh track. Like, <laughs> so I, I do apologize to those that were looking for a more lighthearted discussion over the Mike Leach hire. Um, I just had to get that you know get that off off my chest to open up this debate. Didn't we acknowledge it at the beginning of the show? Like we were like, yeah. there's a couple ways to. I was like, there's a joyful and a joyless way to go about it. <laughs> right, and we took the joyless way, so that's our, that's our bad. <laughs> it's okay. We're a Georgia podcast now. We're yeah, all we good. only get excited about the dogs. <laughs> um, yeah, the real dogs, not the bulldogs from yeah. Ugh. So, but so, I, I do, I do have a theory on this. Okay, uh, from a like. Uh, this is more from a recruiting perspective, so you guys can feel free to take this a different direction. But from a recruiting perspective, when one thing I think that was really positive with regard to state of Mississippi football during the Hugh Freeze Dan Mullen era was 
look, there's a, there's a there's kind of a finite amount of not kind of there is there's a finite amount of talent in the Mississippi footprint, like state of Mississippi and immediate surrounding radius. And if both of those schools are recruiting that same pond, then it's going to be hard for both of those schools to be successful. In fact, both those schools are probably going to be mediocre. So what happened was Hugh Freeze was able to start recruiting in a more national way. And so they were recruiting at a really high level, but by going outside of the state of Mississippi, Mississippi state was able to recruit at a high level too, within their more confined footprint. And consequently, both teams were pretty good at the same time. And I, I think as I look at like the, the state of Mississippi rankings in the class of 2020, for example, Mississippi state I mean, there's a bunch of other schools that have dipped in and gotten some four-star guys. But when you look at sort of the top 20, most of those guys between State and, and Ole Miss are going to Mississippi State. But part of that is Lane Kiffin's coming in, and he's he's recruiting. I mean, he's not like zeroing in on State of Mississippi. And I think with his name recognition, the way he's building his staff initially, I think they're going to recruit nationally and regionally. And I think Hugh Freeze, like cheating jokes aside – prove that if you can get guys on campus in Oxford, you've got a chance. And so if, and I think Lane Kiffin will probably be able to get guys on campus in Oxford. So I think they'll be able to recruit at a, at a pretty high level, but it'll be in a, in a more regional or national approach. And so Mike Leach, who's not a very good recruiter, who isn't a very hardworking recruiter, can then just lean on the state of Mississippi, get those guys, and then all of a sudden, hey, that could be a scenario in which both teams recruit at a pretty high level at the same time or a relatively high level at the same time. So all that said, I didn't answer the question. I don't know who's going to win him, but, but, but I think it, there, there's a scenario in place to where we get another little sort of, you know, golden stretch of, of years between these two teams. If you're, if you're trying to be optimistic, I think the competition on the field in the Egg Bowl is going to be more interesting than the competition on the recruiting trail where I expect Lane to absolutely recruit circles around Mississippi State. Oh, they're yeah, going to have higher. I would agree with that. That's kind of where I'm at. I think that, I mean, again, I don't want to be all, if everybody's all sad about the way we treated it, I don't want to be super negative anymore, but it's just. It's going to depend on how serious Mike Leach takes recruiting because that, like we discussed, my major concern is not Mike Leach as a coach with the X's and O's. It's going to be the Jimmys and Joes because in the SEC, you need those guys to have consistent success and not just, you know, maybe get six and six, go to a bowl game and pull off an upset. And I don't have any question about Lane Kiffin's approach to that. And I don't have any question about the lengths that Lane Kiffin is willing to go to to acquire said talent and bring them to Oxford or to car dealerships in and around Oxford to help seal the deal. So I I would lean towards if I had to bet on one in the time that they are both there, who's going to win more egg bowls between them? I would bet on Kiffin before I bet on Leach. Yep. That's where I'm at, too. And uh, and and as we mentioned in our joyless podcast for Mike Leach, you you let Mike Leach approach uh, approach the podium 
and explain away an egg bowl loss and that they had better players that ain't gonna fly uh i we we could very much be proven wrong but we can only use the seven years of examples that we have of him not being able to beat washington in the apple cup so but hey it'll be it's gonna be quirky and fun because they're gonna be tweeting at each other and you know they're, they're you know they're gonna they're, there's gonna be jokes it's gonna be a lot of jokes so there enjoy the, the era of jokes in, in the state of mississippi uh okay and let's do this one final question from Mulder. i got two i got two more i want to hit if this is if this is final i want to i want to squeeze make time for one more okay i got eight i got time I was, I was. I got nothing happening for twenty four hours. Wow. Oh wait, no wait, twenty hours. I'm at, sorry. Uh, There's just some so- some soccer, some football game coming on in twenty hours. Uh, there is, but no. Before that, I got I got to take Frankie to get her stitches removed. Uh, the old. This is the ACL. Mm-hmm. The ACL rehab going mm-hmm. on with the dog. Gotcha. Yeah, rehab rehab starts Wednesday. Tomorrow we get the stitches removed. Surgery's the easy part. I know. Rehab's the tough part, Frankie get there you got this uh all right well yeah we can we can squeeze into more do you want to jump straight to that are you interested in this no, seven I, don't, game? I don't know what what question are you coming at uh it might be one of my two who out of these currently elite teams yeah that's one of them yeah is the first to win seven games or less in a season so who out of this group is going to be the first one moving forward to have a major drop-off with seven games or less in a season. And maybe it's not a major drop-off, actually, now that I mention it, but let's get to the teams. Clemson, Alabama, Oklahoma, or Ohio State? Again, Clemson, Alabama, Oklahoma, Ohio State. These are four of the most frequent attendees to the college football playoff. This is not an easy question to answer. Seven or so, less is uh is not a very like that is a an alarming season at any of these programs. Yes, very much so. So <clears throat> the the question is who which of these is the first to get to seven is to seven wins, right? Correct. Mm-hmm. So the way I look at that, it's not as if in their current state, which is most likely to have a drop off, which is almost impossible for any of these, but which is the first to get there. So like which program would decay enough over time to get there. Mm-hmm. And, and so initially my initial gut reaction was to go Clemson, Mm-mm. but the more I thought about it, the more they, I actually think they're the least likely. And part of it is whatever ACC, but that's, that's actually less, less part of it. The, the bigger deal with me is I don't think Dabo's going anywhere. I think Dabo is is building and is young enough for sort of the long haul here. And I also think that they've built that program so effectively from within in terms of elevating coaches and um, hiring from within that and keeping retaining coaches that whenever Dabo Sweeney's time comes, if it's I don't know how long it would be, 15 years from now? I don't know. Then, you know, he would probably be able to hand it off to some assistant that that could keep the Clemson way going. So I would say, I would say Clemson's the least likely. I, because they're, and they're recruiting at such a high level. No, yeah, listen, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm on your side and least likely is, uh, 
is is probably I would agree with you. I I think that Alabama's the first to get seven or less. Because if Nick Saban, Nick Saban is going to leave in a in a like a reasonably soon. Correct. I think relative that, to these other programs. I also think that Oklahoma and Ohio State, even beyond sort of this current era, but almost uh, across like what the last twenty years. I mean, there was the six and six season with Luke Fickle, so that is certainly an example of Ohio State having one of those similar types of seasons. But Oklahoma doesn't have many seven. I mean, Oklahoma has maintained a really, really uh, impressive consistency, you know, dominance within the Big 12. Since the formation of the Big 12, nobody has won the Big 12 more than Oklahoma, and it has been overwhelming. Like, they stay at the top of that conference, and I, I kind of consider Ohio State the same thing, where Alabama, Nick Saban leaves, the next coach comes in, and there is no shortage of very, very high power and upper tier programs in the SEC that are going to be very excited and loading up to try and uh, seize that space at the top, to seize whatever real estate might be available once Nick Saban leaves. And so I could definitely, I could see Alabama falling to a seven and five season much, much quicker than Oklahoma or Ohio State. And I like what you said there about Clemson too, where you almost feel like uh, they they are establishing sort of that same kind of Oklahoma Ohio State like dominance, but doing it in the ACC. Uh, I've always you know the best predictor of the future is the past. So if we look into the past, the last time Alabama had a seven win season was two thousand seven, Nick Saban's first season. Last time Clemson had a seven win season was twenty ten when it went six and seven in Dabo's second full year. The last time Oklahoma had a seven-win season was 1999, but it should be mentioned that they've had three eight-win seasons since then, which, you know, kind of close to what we're thinking about here. And then the last time Ohio State had a seven-win or worse season was in 2011, the six and seven year under Luke Fickle between Trestle and Meyer. All that said, if the past is the best predictor of the future, Clemson is the obvious choice because Clemson is a recent powerhouse. Whereas if you look at the history of Alabama, Oklahoma, and Ohio State, yes, there have been down spells, but there's also been a lot of, you know, winning in the past. Whereas Clemson hasn't become a dominant program until recent years. And kind of like you mentioned, Barton, Nick Saban won't be around much longer. And I don't think he's going to leave Alabama or Clemson, but when Nick Saban does step down, we all know who the first call is going to be to. Who? Dabo. But you but Dabo's not going to Alabama. Why wouldn't he? It's the alma mater. I'm not buying that. I'm just not buying that. Like it just doesn't fit with anything. Like, why would like Dabo has built this thing in a in a way in which he is it's it's him. Like he is he is the Bear Bryant of Clemson. Why would he want to go be the the understudy of Bear Bryant and Nick Saban when he is Bear Bryant of Clemson? Well, Bear Bryant was, you know, at Texas A&M before he went to Alabama. But that no, he didn't. He didn't win national titles or anything. But I'm just saying, it's it's Alabama, man. He went to Alabama. Why did Nick Saban go to Alabama after Bear Bryant had already been there? <laughs> it's, it's Alabama, and he was. I mean, yeah, you're, you're an Alabama alum. Look, I I tend to. If you ask me right now, I do think that Dabo is is 
in his mind trying to coach this thing out, but Dabo's got at least a couple chapters left. He's got some, he might have a heel turn in him. I mean, remember the feels like a loss speech after the South Carolina win last year where he's chastising the Clemson fans for talking about how a 50 to 35 win against your rival feels like a loss. And he says, I'm only concerned about winning by one more point. And if that's not good enough for y'all, maybe I'll take my ball and go home. Like there's yeah, okay. It's, it's, I mean, it's the, if you think that the Clemson fans are, are annoyed at you not winning by enough, Wait till you see what the Alabama fans are thinking. I mean, I, I'm just saying there's like there you're you're right that Dabo's young and I'm leaving enough room in his book for there to be a surprising chapter. Like there could be the uh Nick Saban leaves, Alabama comes to Dabo, Dabo's like, nah, I'm staying at Clemson, and then he wins e- over even more, and they're like so excited. But then after that, Alabama has to get rid of the guy and because you never want to be the guy after the guy. But what about the guy who comes in next to bring about redemption? Dabo could leave on that turn too. I don't think we're likely. I mean, I don't think any of this is likely. <laughs> Just it's like if, we're, if I, these are the only four programs I have to choose from, I think Clemson's the obvious answer. So you you were like Tom. You're oh no, of like what their fire seven. I'm going to get here all of a sudden. Um, when you're here seeing their, their their previous stops of seven wins or eight wins or whatever, all those are aligned with coaching changes. And so I, I guess, I mean, the, the coaching stability is what's allowed these teams to be so successful. Like I, I think, so which is why I think Oklahoma to me and your their, their stops at eight wins is speaks to this a little bit too, but Oklahoma to me, because Lincoln Riley – is sort of such an offensive mastermind. It's less of this sort of like process oriented program, like a Nick Saban program. It's more of a, I'm going to outcoach you guys on the other sideline and I'm going to put together this sick offense. And he's such a face of that offense at this point, And that offense is such a face of that program that I, I kind of feel like if Lincoln Riley were to bounce, then there's, there's some vulnerability there. Um, and I also feel like, Similar to what we were talking about, if if Nick Saban bounces or retires or whatever, if it's not the perfect coach to come in, the pressure of those expectations could absolutely crush that coach, and you'll you could see like a little bit of what's what Texas is going through. Um, so I, it, I mean, it's uh, and so I, you know, like Chip said, then I think, you know, whoever picks up the the pieces after that coach could could be the the savior there at Alabama. Well, I heard uh I heard I think it was Bomani Jones called whoever replaces Nick Saban, the job that they're taking is a retirement plan. Like you are accepting that job, being ready to be fired, save your money, the buyout will be sweet and just hold on tight. Uh all right, what was the next one that you wanted to do? That was one of your two, right? Yeah, the other one I thought was a that I, I I thought was an interesting discussion was who is going to be the next school to win their first national championship. I can't who I don't know who who sent in that one. Chris, uh, Chris said it has been over twenty years since a program has won their first national championship with Florida in nineteen ninety six. 
It's just been former champions winning again and again and again. So what program do y'all think will be the next to win their first real national championship? And when do you think it'll be? Pretty disrespectful. UCF just won a national title a couple years ago, Chris. (laughs) (laughs) Which didn't they get a share of one of them? Like the yeah. Massey or something? They gave they gave their coaches like uh, national title coaching bonuses and all kinds of stuff. That's mm-hmm. they, they, they they went all in. Well. Full method acting. <laughs> um. Okay, who's next? See, here's the thing, because like, what programs haven't won a national title? Like, are we doing like the modern era or? Like all time, because you'd be surprised which programs won national titles in like 1894. You know what I'm saying? All right, because you, you, you think you think about throwing Rutgers in there? Yes. I mean, did, <laughs> has Rutgers won a national title? Probably. Maybe they've playing football thinking. for a long time, but I'm just That's saying it. you're probably not gonna throw Rutgers in there. I've got one. Who? I got one. I have mine. Uh, I think it's the Oregon Ducks. That's mine. They've been in uh, runner-up. For the national championship twice in the last decade, they're, they are the closest. So they've never won one in their history. Correct. Rutgers won one in 1869, by the I way. I knew they had an 1800 one in there somewhere. And, min- so. and doesn't Minnesota have three or something? Oh, yeah. And Minnesota had in a couple. In the 60s, yeah. Uh, oh, wow, yeah. So Oregon's never won one. Uh, yeah, that's who I'd go with then. I They... My my reasoning for Oregon is they're recruiting at a high enough level. Like you got you have to find someone that's that if if we're being, you know, if we're trying to actually predict something that is that, that you can see the early indicators for instead of just like, you know, randomly taking a a program that in a in a conference that's hadn't won it. Like Oregon's recruiting at a really high level, and so that's that's a prerequisite for winning these things is, is so if you're not recruiting at a high level, you can, you can p- pick them, but it's, you're just, it's just blind faith that they'll start recruiting at a higher level. Oregon's already, the pace is already there from a recruiting standpoint. And so I think they just have to get a, they got to get a quarterback. Um, and it doesn't have to be like, uh, Justin Herbert's going to be a first rounder, I guess. I'm never, I was never convinced he was the quarterback. Um, but you have to get this guy. Don't have to be a first round. He's just got to be a, a gamer. Um, that's senior bowl MVP, Justin Herbert. <laughs> I know. I know. Just, <laughs> it'll, <laughs> it's going to be a fun uh, few months. Yeah, exactly. So I've got, all right. So part, the next question was, when will it be? I, I would think that it could be, I don't know, in the next five years. It could be, but I've got uh, I've got an off the wall suggestion because if we consider because you know let's play it out in the future let's say the next uh, 2020 so let's say the next six national champions uh, are all other former champions much as they've been for the last two decades and let's say the college football playoff goes to an expansion after the in 2026. That is where I would entertain Boise State as one of the next in line. Boise State claims no Division 1A national championships. They have a 1958 junior college championship and a 1980 Division 1 AA national championship. I think Boise State would be uh, a dark horse there. 
what makes you think that Boise State could survive an expanded playoff and win a national championship? <laughs> I was looking for a group of five, and I was trying to think that of all okay, the group of fives, right. I was trying to think that if if the group of five does end up getting its wish and getting a designated spot in the college football playoff, then you have – because right now I don't think a group of five team makes a four-team playoff, but if you've got a spot, like if you've got a ticket – then you're at least there. And of all the group of five programs, Boise State's the one that comes to mind as being one that could survive uh, a quarterfinals, a semifinals, and a finals against some of the best teams in the country. I, I don't think that they could survive those <laughs> those games. Um, there, I think their best bet would be at uh, some disaster season before. Like if you're saying the playoff expand. I would say it would have to be a non-playoff expansion. They go undefeated and just things things hit perfectly and everyone's got two losses and they can they sneak in. And then maybe if they just have to win two games and not three, who knows, but I I don't see I don't see them ever winning three games. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> It's like you look at I'm trying to find like a list of candidates for teams that haven't won. And it's like, you know, like Wisconsin has three unclaimed national titles, but I don't know if that counts. I I, I think Oregon's the only realistic choice because if you look through the teams, like maybe Utah, they were kind of close this year, right? Ares, I mean, are we going to keep end up going back to the Pac-12 basically? Because I was going to suggest Arizona State. Maybe. Has South Carolina ever won a national title? To the Googles. Uh, (laughs) No. They only have one conference title in 1969, and that was in the ACC. What about about Baylor? You know, Baylor was just a game away this year. Dave Aranda and Larry Fedora coming coming to the the Brazos. Oh, Baylor definitely doesn't have a national team. Yeah, I'll go with Baylor. Yeah, they, they, you could consider Baylor. They do have nine conference championships, though. So, yeah, Baylor was close. Baylor was close this year. Uh, the other one that I, that I initially thought about, and I hadn't looked up if they've—I don't think they have a national championship, but I haven't looked it up. Does Oklahoma State have a national championship? I don't think so. No. Well, yeah, we've already well, decided they're winning the national championship they're, they're in 2020. Winning next year, so if you want, if, yeah, you want the well, yeah, they do. 1945. Damn. Oh. They claimed. Let's see the uh, the AFCA national title. Claimed it. Also, in 2011, they got the Coley Matrix title, which I believe is the same one UCF has. Beep boop what? boop. We are the Coley Matrix. Yeah. Real name, Jim Lookaball led the Oklahoma State Cowboys to a 9-0 season and a Sugar Bowl win in the 1945 season. You know what he said when he did it? Look up. Lookaball, no losses. <laughs> Is that a look, ma, no hands reference? Yes. Deep cut. <laughs> Real deep, making me feel 2011 again. Love it. Does uh, uh, so? Does Washington have a national championship? Yes. Yeah. Nineteen. Have, somewhat recently. Yeah, ninety, I think. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Don James. That was like the Steve Entman uh, era. 
Um, all right. Just try to find one. Try to find. Try to find more. So that's the thing. Like this goes back for so long, and there were so many like polls and titles available that it's difficult to find programs that haven't won one at some point. I mean, y'all haven't uh, talked about how Sam Howell's leading those North Carolina Tar Heels to a national championship as junior season twenty twenty one. Come and get it. Does North Carolina have one? Heck no. Wow. I no, I know they stole they stole a 2005 basketball <laughs> title. I know that. It wasn't stealing. It was just not showing up for classes you got credit for. Yeah. Uh-huh. Student athletes. <laughs> it's not it's not cheating against NCAA rules if there were non-athletes in the classes too. Remember that was a real defense that yes. lawyers wrote up. Not a violation. Look at all these frat guys that are in the class too. Not an impermissible benefit. Uh, that was fun. Been some, been some great defenses in recent past and recent hours. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. You can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. You can follow him at Barton Simmons. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Please uh, let us know who won the Big Ten SEC Challenge and the ACC AAC Challenge. We anxiously await the tally and to see who won in this wonderful test of college football conference supremacy. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. are focusing on the brutal slayings of four college kids. A new Paramount Plus original docuseries. This is the start of something major. Follows online detectives as they unravel the mystery of the infamous Idaho college murders. There's plenty of places to hide a weapon. And turned it into a social media phenomenon. Where are the roommates? This is a huge night. I want the truth from you. Hashtag Cyber Sleuths. The Idaho Murders. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus.